0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Uh, you'll see when we when we go through some of this stuff I'm gonna be teaching today as you saw in the title, on uh, one prosperity promise that is not for everyone, that's not for everyone. But you'll, you'll be able to see as we study this, how so many people take this out of context and uh, they've taken this verse out of context. And so we're going to dive into that in just a second and show you a uh, proper Bible study. Um, will we'll give you an understanding of who this is truly for, as well as Uh, recognize when people are misquoting this verse, which gets done all the time, especially in church, especially at offering time. And so uh, I want you to look at it with me today and I'm going to show you why, why we need to have these skills in place. Good morning, brother Kevin. Love you. We're going to go to Philippians chapter four. And um, I want you to, I want you to really pay close attention We're not just going to read the one verse, we're going to read the context surrounding the verse. Um, Can I say, one of the things that I will um, kind of clue you in on, some of these newer Bible translations, uh, when I say newer, I mean newer than like the King James Version or, or, or something like that. But let's say, for example, you use an ESV or let's say you use an NLT. Or what I have in front of me, this is the NET, this is the Net Bible, full notes edition. Um, Some of these newer uh, Bible translations do something in the layout that's very helpful for for people that are studying the Bible. And that is that they use a paragraph style layout. And, And I like that. Now, obviously, when the Bible was written, there were no chapters, there were no verses, uh, there may, there were, if you look at the papyri, there's not even paragraphs in that way like we have in the English. But uh, when they're laying this out, um, they're, they're showing us in different places based on the indented paragraph or even in your Bible, you might have uh, little headings in each chapter. Like mine says here, when I go to Philippians chapter four, right before chapter four starts, there's a little heading that says Christian practices. And then before verse 10, there's a heading that says appreciation for support. Uh, And then before verse 21, final greetings. You guys have that in your Bibles as well. Uh, Obviously that's not part of the Bible and neither are the chapters and verses. Those were added for our benefit to help us more quickly find the places we're gonna go. But these headings were added by translators So that we could kind of have an idea or an overview of what this section of scripture is about in their opinion. Covering, you know, he covers Christian practices, moves on to appreciation for their financial support. Goes then on to the final greetings to the church in in Philippi and all that. So those are there so that we can see kind of what it's about. But then when you're reading inside those uh, headings, You'll see there's indented paragraphs in some of your Bible translations. Well, they're just letting us know that the author might be changing subjects here. Might might be changing uh, his thought process. And so they start a new paragraph because there's a new thought that might be starting here. And that's helpful too when you're reading um, the Bible and then going to read the Bible in context because uh, when you're reading it, you might say, okay, I'm reading, I'm plucking this one verse out, which is what we're going to do in a second. We're going to pluck the verse out, and then we're going to go back and look at it in its, in its context. But you say, okay, well, what is it that, uh, what is, it that, 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 the, that is quoted often? Well, let's, let's go to the verse. Uh, it's here in Philippians 4, but let me quote it to you, uh, how it's often quoted in church, especially at offering time, especially in church services. You'll hear this verse quoted. But my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many have heard it quoted that way? My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We've all heard that verse quoted that way in church. Everybody lift your hands. Everybody declare this with me. My God will supply all my needs, just like the Bible says. You know, and unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. And uh, one of the things that we have to be very careful of, go, go back and check these passages. What does the Bible actually say? Well, uh, first, let's read it the way the Bible actually says it because this is something that functions in the life of a believer for financial increase, but, but let's read it together. Um, It's verse 19, by the way, Philippians 4, 19, very familiar, but listen to what it says. Paul writes, and my God will supply your every need. That's the NET, all of your needs, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So, so notice this, Paul's not saying my God will supply all my needs according to his riches. Nor are the Christians saying that. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. This is a part, just this one verse, it's a part of a larger thought that Paul was trying to get across to these Christians in Philippi. So let's go back and um, instead of, now now my, my paragraph break goes back to 15, verse 15. But let's go even further back to the beginning of the heading, Appreciation for Support. That's verse 10. So we're going to get to verse 19 and 20, but let's start with verse 10, which will give us an even fuller context of what Paul's saying. Okay? So back to verse 10. Let's read from there. Listen to this. I have great joy in the Lord, because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. So so let's let's stop there. And he's going to explain this. But notice that Paul recognizes that this church, the Philippian church, is not just expressing concern for him and his ministry, but they've done so before. That's not their first time expressing concern or care for him and his ministry. Because he says, uh, at last you have again expressed your concern for me. And then it says, now I know you were concerned before but had no opportunity to do anything about it. And so that's verse 10. He said, I know you were concerned about me before, but you, did, you had nothing, you, nothing that you could do for me because of your concern. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Verse 12, I've experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. I'm able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble. All right, let's, let's examine another uh, verse that's commonly Taken out of context. The 13th verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. And people quote that for everything. They think that's some sort of a a blank check uh, in the body of Christ for anything that you're going to do. Anything you want to do. You know. And and, and raise your hand if you've heard it used that way by Christians. That Philippians 4.13 is like some sort of supernatural blank check that will allow you to do anything you want to do because Christ strengthens you. And then we look back at what Paul's saying and we have to ask ourselves, is that what he meant? Did he really mean that he could do absolutely anything in the world because of Christ that strengthens him? That's not what he's saying. He said, I believe one day I'll be able to fly because I can do all things through Christ. You know, one day I'm going to be in the NBA because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. Read the flow of his thought. Read the flow of his thought. Uh, (laughs) Dylan, the flow of Paul's thought is, he said, there have been times. Now, he's talking about his ministry, his traveling to church, church to church, teaching, preaching. Uh, Just a heads up, you know, 16. A.D. 60 was nothing like 2022. A.D. 60, there were no Hampton Inns, there were no drive-thrus, there was no Taco Bell, there was no McDonald's, there were no credit cards, you couldn't just stop at a corner store and get something. Many times in A.D. 60, Paul was traveling and it was dangerous conditions, ships through storms. We know that he'd been shipwrecked. We know, I mean, multiple things had happened to him. You know, you're going through the wilderness. You're going, you're traveling long distances. He spent years traveling and doing different missionary journeys. And so it's not like it is today. So when we look at this, you you don't want to look at this passage and say, well, see, it was God's will for Paul to have nothing. It's not what Paul's saying either. He's saying that I'm going through these different uh, missionary journeys. I'm ministering. I'm going from place to place. And I understand what it is to be fully supplied. I understand what it is to not have enough. And he said, in this context, look at that. He said, in any circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. So, In direct context, that's what he's saying. In the midst of my ministry, as I'm going through all these places, missionary journeys, traveling around, he said, it doesn't matter uh, what I face. I could have plenty in my belly. I could be hungry on the way to go preach. Uh, I could abound or I could be in need. He said, but I've learned to be content and I can do all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. So look at the pure context, strengthening him in his his purpose to do ministry, to do what he's called to do. And that's why he's so thankful for this church, the Philippian church, because he said, you guys uh, expressed concern for me. Teddy, you need me to open those for you? Bring it to me. See, I'm parenting and, oh, here he comes. (laughs) I'm parenting and teaching all at the same time. And somebody needed some gummy snacks. There it is. Enjoy it. Give me a kiss though. I love you. Spider-Man jammies. Um, Paul's saying, "In in the context of my ministry, all of the things that pertain to my purpose, I am able to do all of those things through Christ that strengthens me. Thank you. I know that was hard, Tyler. Um, I'm able to do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not to be used like, one, you know, one day I believe my son's going to be in the NBA because he can do all things through Christ. That's not what it's about. He's talking about his purpose, the thing God called him to do. He can do it and not, be, and not fail and not give up. He said in all these things, he said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So we keep on moving and we understand what now what he's talking about. Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble. So Paul was trying to do these things for the Lord. And um, as he's doing it, what you're going to find out is, what you're going to find out is nobody was willing to help Paul. Now, how crazy is that? He's, here's a man that was probably, other than Christ, the most powerful Apostle that existed other than Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle, whom the Lord used to write much of the New Testament, plant many churches, strengthen those churches, raise them up, all of these things, but nobody would help him. Here Paul is trying to do the work of the Lord and you've got no churches willing to do anything financially to help Paul's ministry. But notice what he says in verse 15. And as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. That's huge. You catch that. He said there was no other church that was willing to enter into giving and receiving with my ministry Except the Philippian church. You're the only ones. You're the only ones. Think about that. (laughs) And that's what he was referring to earlier when he said, uh, you've again expressed concern for me. Well, obviously the first time they expressed concern for him is when he started off in his ministry and was ministering, traveling, you know, planting. And they were the only church. They were the only ones that were willing to give any offerings to Paul's ministry, just the Philippians. And so he was appreciative of them then, and now they're helping him again. And he said, I'm so thankful for you because you have expressed concern and entered into me and shared with me in my trouble. And so he's giving them in this letter, he's thanking them for their dedication and partnership with his ministry. And so he goes on further. And he said, um, you're the only church that entered into giving and receiving uh, with my ministry. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, on more than one occasion, listen to that, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I don't say this because I'm seeking a gift. Now, he's making it clear. He's not doing this thing that people do, you know. Thank you so much. And then presenting another need. He said, I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account. So the reason he's, he's bringing it up, the reason he's thanking them, he says, it's not because I need you to send me another gift. It's because I want to see your harvest come. I want to see your harvest come because you've done so much for me. You've done so much for my ministry. I want to see your blessing come now. I want to see your harvest manifested in the Philippian church. And so he said, uh, I want to see the credit that abounds to your account, verse 18, for I have received everything and I have plenty. I have all I need because I received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, very pleasing to God. So do you see that? He's saying now, because of what you've done, because of what you've done, uh, I have no needs. I've got everything I need. I've got plenty. All I need, because I received, so they sent someone with their gifts, Epaphroditus, what you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, very pleasing to God. Now we jump over to the verse that everybody quotes and some people misquote and we can understand it in the more full context than we have before without reading all these together. He said, And my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. May glory be given to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Then he moves into his final greetings. So now let's look at this all together. Because, you know, though there are many people that stand up in church services and they're sitting around, how many know my God will supply all my needs? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. The blessing doesn't just arbitrarily come to every Christian at all. If it did, then guess what? There would be no no poor Christians. There would be no Christians in need if it just arbitrarily came to every Christian. But notice what Paul's trying to, he's trying to make this point to these Christians so that they understand what took place. He said, there's something coming to you as the Philippian church, but it's not coming to you randomly. It's not coming to you arbitrarily. The reason that my God is going to supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus is directly a result of what you chose to do for me and my ministry. That, that's what Paul's teaching. He's saying, on more than one occasion, you have blessed me. Being the only church that sowed at the beginning of my ministry, and then when I was in Macedonia, again, you sent, you sent uh, uh, gifts again, and no other church did that, and then again, uh, you sent Epaphroditus, and he was loaded down with gifts for me in my ministry, and I received him, and now I have all that I need, I lack nothing. And he said, I'm not bringing all these things up again so that you'll send more gifts. I'm bringing them up because I want to see the credit abound to your account. I want to see your harvest come. I want to see you overflow. And so one of the things that people get wrong, I mean, how many have ever heard this in a a church service before? You know, they're in the midst of maybe receiving the offering, whatever, tithes and offerings. And uh, uh, somebody says, Or they'll say, well, brother so-and-so is coming to pray. You know, deacon so-and-so, usher so-and-so. We want to have him come and pray over the, uh, the offering or those there. How many times have you heard somebody get up and go, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to give into your kingdom. And now we're asking you, Lord, bless those that have to give and bless those that have not to give. And I pray, Lord, that whether they give in this offering or not, that you would bless them and bless their families. How many have heard people pray like that before? I mean, I'm interested, if you'd lift your hand in the comments. How many have heard that exact prayer, those words? Bless those who have to give. Bless those that don't have to give. I'm already seeing people say yes. I'm already seeing hands go up. Yes, yes, yes. You've heard that prayer before. It's a very religious prayer. You hear it at church. You hear it all the time at at religious churches. You don't hear it at churches that understand sowing and reaping. Father, bless those who have to give. Bless those who have not to give. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. It is your giving that sparks or provokes your receiving. Your giving provokes your receiving. And so the reason I say this is a prosperity promise that's not for everyone. Notice in Philippians, Paul wasn't praying this for every Christian ever. He was not declaring this over every Christian in the world because he he already made the point. There's a lot of Christians that had no desire to give towards this ministry, but you guys did. And so now because of what you did do, now my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So notice what they're about to receive is a result of what they did. It's a result of what they did. See, because if we go over to... um, 2 Corinthians 9, once again, it's Paul teaching, Apostle Paul's teaching, and he says uh, in verse 6, my point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. So it's not only uh, Paul teaching that not everybody uh, receives that same promise or receives that same blessing, but he also goes on to say that not everybody will receive it in the same measure. that's, That's big for us to understand. Not only will not everybody receive it, not everybody will receive it in the same measure. Right? So you look, exactly, Alice. Alice is saying that this, this verse can only be applied to me when I'm a, when I'm a giver. And that's exactly right. <laughs> Isaiah said, I used to pray it all the time when I was religious. And pray that. Father, bless those. And it sounds nice, doesn't it? Because we really want to pronounce a blessing on those who seemingly don't have anything to give. But look at this now. Because... Uh, <laughs> We have to realize, is there a reason or could there be a reason why there are many people who don't have anything to give? Let's look at it. Verse 7. Each one of you should give just as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you'll overflow in every good work, just as it is written, he has scattered widely and he has given to the poor, the righteous remains forever. Now look at this. Now God who provides seed for the sower and bread for the eater will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. Think about that. So Paul's teaching that God is the one who gives seed to the sower. So we ask ourselves, if people are praying that, then what is it That's actually happening. Why why are there some who have nothing to give? And the answer, according to Paul, is because God knows the people who have made up in their hearts and minds that they're going to be givers. And he said, if I see a sower, I will give seed to that sower and bread for food. But see, we have to look, too, at something like Matthew 25's parable of the talents. Because if God can't entrust you with anything, right? It's like people who say, well, brother, you know, I'm going to start tithing when we can afford to tithe. You'll never afford it. You'll never afford it. You just have to do it because the Lord asked you to do it in his word. So here's the thing we always see. Well, brother, I'm going to start giving when I have more, you know enough to give. I'm going to start sowing. And when you have an income or you've been blessed or given, given something, if the Lord looks at you and sees, well, here's a little blessing that came to him, and he didn't even honor me with that, here's a little extra that came to her, and she didn't honor me with that. The Bible, the principle the Bible teaches is, if you're faithful over little, then I'll make you ruler over much. If you're faithful over little, I'll make you ruler over much. So the increase never comes until you're faithful over the little that you do have. And it's, it's, it's insane because... The way you hear some churches teach it, it will actually keep people in poverty and in need for the rest of their lives. You know, it's like um, you've seen the system before, like, you know, if you go, <laughs> I worked for, many of you know this, I used to work for MasterCard when I was in college. And I was young, you know, I was 18 years old and I didn't understand, you know, all of the practices of credit card companies at 18 years old, I didn't understand. I didn't understand how, at the time, I didn't know that credit card companies, to make money, will prey on on people that uh, are in need, that don't have enough, um, that are already in a rough place financially, that are not doing well in life, and I didn't know at the time credit card companies will prey on these people, uh, and and then you know they're offering credit cards to everybody and their dog. I mean, you know, you're getting blasted in mail in the mail. You've got $20,000 of credit waiting on you and, you know, sign up today and all all this other stuff. And so I didn't realize. And when I found out what the legal limit was, I mean, like it's, it's been upped by the way. It's been upped since I worked there 20 years ago. But when I looked and saw, hold on a second, we're giving people with no credit like with with nothing credit cards that have a 29.9% interest rate 29 that's the APR 29.9% 30% i thought to myself the mafia gives better rates than that i mean like of course they'll break your legs but you know pretty much mastercard does too You know, it's, and so I got into looking at this and thought to myself, I started just doing the math in my head because I'm dealing with credit card holders all day long. It's like, dude, this, this dude here owns 10, uh, owes 10 grand on this card and I'm supposed to call him up and just encourage him to pay his minimum, uh, minimum amount or whatever the minimum payment. And I, I did the math back at 18 years old and realized if this dude just sits here and pays the minimum payment on his credit card, he will be not only in this debt for the rest of his life, he will be in more debt because it'll keep stacking up at 30% especially. And, and I started looking at this and it, it opened my eyes to a principle. It's the same with like the Renaissance principle. You go down. And you, you, because you want an Xbox right now, you're willing to make those monthly payments. And by the time you're done paying for that Xbox, instead of, uh, instead of paying $500 for it, like the MSRP, you end up paying $1,100 for it. $1,100. Well, I realize that this same principle functions in the church. Because when you have spiritual leaders that will just preach from the pulpit and pray and say from the pulpit, Lord bless those who have to give and bless those who have not to give. You're putting people in that MasterCard style setup where I now feel okay to do the minimum or to do nothing and sit around still expecting life to be great. And that's what people do. They feel like they did something because they made the minimum payment uh, on their balance. And they're stacking themselves up into greater debt and and all of that. So uh, there's preachers that that if you you do what I'm talking about in today's broadcast, if you sit around quoting those verses, how many know it doesn't matter? God loves you and he's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ. That's not what Paul said. That's not even close to what Paul said. Paul said... That because you were the only church that gave again and again and again, when no one else was helping me, you were helping me. You sent gifts for the ministry over and over. Again, you just sent more through Epaphroditus. And now I'm richly supplied. I have all that I need. And now my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul is doing the furthest thing from saying, how many know God loves us and he's going to just supply all of our, No. He's saying it's your dedication. And then again, he taught the Corinthians that God gives seed to the sower. Yes. But when you sow the seed, the type of seed you do sow is going to depend or is going to govern what comes back into your hand afterward. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's what the Bible teaches. And there's this socialist mentality that there's gonna be some sort of an equal distribution of wealth across the body of Christ. And that's not how it functions. That is not at all how how God operates. You know, you hear people get on television, I came to prophesy to you that 22 is gonna be a double portion for every person watching me. You get ready to walk into the double portion. It ain't gonna happen for everybody because everybody's at different levels of dedication, maturity not everybody not everybody's going to enter into that kind of a a, a double portion or an overflow and it's dangerous to get on be like me getting on this broadcast with you know if there were a few hundred people watching and sitting here saying i came to tell you everybody watching me today the double portions coming to you it has nothing to do with what i say over you i want you to understand that it has nothing to do with what anyone, your pastor can say it over you until he's blue in the face. But again, if you're not a tither and a giver, then nothing's gonna change. You'll get a goose egg. Uh, When I come across all these people on social media, man, and it's all these people, and they're they're talking about everyone who reads this, I cancel the curse of debt over your life. It's like, I just scrolled past your tweet and your tweet Just canceled the curse of debt over my life. It's on Facebook too. Like Rachel said, all the time, I cancel the demon of debt. That's been holding you in bondage. The demon of debt. There's no demon of debt. (laughs) What does he look like? The monopoly guy, (laughs) the demon of debt. There's, there's no Mary. Don't, don't give any money. Mary Khalil, don't give any money to anybody that's putting their cash app and Venmo in the comments. Don't let people scam you out of money. They, they jump on all the time, different accounts, same cash app. That's how you know it's a scam. You know, and, and that's exactly how it is. And there's, and there's people sitting around. You can declare it all you want. You can declare it all you want, but it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. I can't. You, I declare, everybody reading my tweet, everybody reading my Facebook today, I cancel the dirty demon of debt over your life from this day forward, and you shall walk in it. It's like, no. There, there's no dirty demon of debt. There's no dirty demon of debt. You got yourself into debt. It wasn't a demon. It was swiping. <laughs> swiping got you into the debt. It wasn't a demon. that dirty demon of debt's living in your wallet. And people come up with all these reasons. One thing I've noticed about uh, the fringe, nut job, charismatic Pentecostals, is that they over-spiritualize everything. And you can over-spiritualize everything. Everything. To the point where anything that happens in your life due to your bad decisions or choices gets blamed on a demon somewhere. (laughs) it's like, you know, and I've talked about it. I've talked about it in health. I've talked about it in finance. I've talked about it in people's mental states. You know, I used to deal with it with my youth group back when I was a youth pastor. And when they would come and tell me how hard it is to stay pure in high school, and I'd say, okay, well, show me on your phone, or back then it wasn't a phone, back then it was just an iPod. I'd say, show me on your iPod what, you're, what music you're listening to. I say, I, I really want to see your playlist. I really want to see what you're pumping into your ears on the way to school, through school, on the way home from school, when you're in your room after school. And if I look at your playlist and I find 50 you know, hip-hop and R&B songs that are all talking about sex, then don't tell me how bad the devil's attacking you when you're pumping those things into your soul day and night and you're surrounding yourself with friends, that that's, that's all they talk about and that's what all they want to do, right? And all these different things. Don't tell me the devil's attacking you when you're bringing that mindset and that, that, uh, that environment upon yourself. Now, Kathy asked the question, obviously, every, there are different situations, no question. She said, what do you do when debt gets dumped on you, even after you've been tithing and giving? You you can understand uh, that there's other things that happen uh, that are not from your own spending habits, obviously. But that is not the majority. That is not the majority. Uh, And obviously, you'll believe, Kathy, that God's going to help you and clear it. If you're already a tither and giver, as you've been saying, then the blessing of God will be upon your life. And God will help you. And God will help you get out of that debt. But that's, that's, that's a very rare thing. That's not, that's not the, the, the norm. You know, uh, recent, recent poll, I had somebody put it on the comments. The, Dave Ramsey said that the, the average American, if they had a $500 emergency, then over 80%, I believe it is, it might be higher than that, it might be in the 90s now, uh, that over 80% would have to put that emergency on a credit card. Think about that, $500 emergency and over 80% of Americans would have to put that eight, $500 emergency on a credit card because they don't have, they don't have enough. So when I say to Kathy that that's not, the, that's not the norm, people aren't making good decisions. They're not doing it with their body they're not doing it with their mind. They're not doing it with their spirit. And so a lot of times these things happen and people start blaming demons. It's not a demon. It's not a demon. People have to, and that's why, if you've ever heard me teach on it, and it's, it's on our podcast, five areas of your life that you must master or they will master you. The five areas of your life that you must master or they will master you. Listen to that, Dylan said. He just read that seven out of ten Americans are one paycheck away from bankruptcy, and that's how the majority of America is living, because they're not making they're not making choices that are. And, and then this, and then if it's a Christian, you know, how many know the devil's been attacking my finances? And there's a demon. And it's it's so funny to me because every time the you know anytime there's a stimulus check, anytime there's a, a, a tax return, Sunglass Hut gets raided. Foot Locker and Champ Sports gets raided, you know, all these, and people coming into church, all new stuff, new cell phones, new glasses. It just, it, and then they say, I need you to pray. There's a devil coming against my finances. No, your finances are all in the cash register at Sunglass Hut. So you could have two new pairs of Prada to wear around yet your credit card's still not paid off, you know, and people don't blame the devil. Don't don't blame the devil. It's not a demon. And that's true for many, many things in the lives of Christians. They want to blame demons. They want to blame devils. Now, I'm not saying that demons and devils aren't real. I'm not saying that they don't harass believers. Of course they do. But I would guess, I would guess that the majority of believers uh, are truly dealing with bad decisions, results from bad decisions, results from bad decisions. And so that I know we want to, you know, many times it comes from a heart for people that people want to see other people blessed. I get that. I understand there might be an usher a deacon or a pastor that stands up and prays that genuinely because they want to see people get blessed and they say, well, bless those that have to give bless those that don't have to give, but that's not how, how God's kingdom works by any means. By any means. And, and so though they might do it even from a genuine heart, it's actually hurtful because you look at these and then in then quoting scriptures out of context, you know, my God's going to supply all your needs. not always, not always. You've got to do it the Bible way. And even with the parable of the talents that I mentioned earlier, the Bible says that when the master came back to check out his servants, he looked at the one, that he'd given five talents and he had invested it and gave back the, uh, 10 talents to the master. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, you've been faithful over little, I'll make you rule over much. One, he'd given two. He took the two, invested it, gave back four. He said, well done. But then he got to the servant that had only been given one talent. And by the way, he also didn't arbitrarily pick how much he'd give to each one, it wasn't random. It was based upon their previous faithfulness and production. And so he comes to the one who had won. He said, here's your one talent back. I knew you're a hard master. You reap where you don't sow. So I buried it in the ground. Here it is back to you. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. He said, you should have at least put it in the bank so I got interest on my money. He said, now take away from him the one talent and give it to the one who has ten talents. You know, people be like, that's unfair. He already has ten. He doesn't need another one. But look at the principle that Jesus is teaching. To him that does well with what he has, more will be given. Woo! Look at this now. Put this in the comments. If I'm faithful, God will give me more. Put put that in the comments. If I'm faithful, God will give me more. Hallelujah. If I'm faithful, God will give me more. Look at this now. I'm I'm in Matthew 25. I'm going to read verse 28 and 29. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For the one who has will be given more, and he'll have more than enough. But the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken from him. I mean, this is, this is serious because Jesus is equating, <laughs> Jesus is equating laziness with wickedness. That's heavy, man. Jesus is equating laziness with wickedness. You wicked and lazy servant. So notice this, even in the early church, I'm sure you knew this, but even in the early church, you were required to work. You know, they didn't, they didn't allow people to just sit around and do nothing. The rule was, if you don't work, you don't eat. And that's why Paul, though he had the right, see, remember something, Paul was raising up churches and he was raising up men and women to understand how to live for the Lord. And Paul even said this, even though he had a right to receive not just offerings for himself, he taught that the man of God is worthy of double honor. And in that context, if you go read it, he's talking about double financial honor, double. And he said, though I have the right to collect that, I could very well do it and be within my rights. As a servant of God, he actually showed them what it was to be a hard worker. And Paul worked and worked. Now, he made it very plain that this is not how ministers should live. And he he wrote about that and taught about it. He said, if there's a minister, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain. You You should ensure, because they are worthy of double honor, you should ensure that the one who ministers to you spiritual things, that you minister back to them natural things. So he was setting up the framework. But to show them what hard work looked like, Paul refused to take What was his and worked, worked as a tent maker, worked very hard. And he pointed it out in his letters. He said, did I not work hard when I was with you to show you what it was to be a a worker, to show you what it was to be faithful? And he love you, Dave. And he said, if, if you don't work, you don't eat. So that was a principle. They didn't just let people sit around and be lazy. God hates laziness. God loves diligence. That's something I, I wish you'd write down, put it in the comments. God hates laziness. God loves diligence. He hates laziness. He loves diligence. He loves it. I mean, read through the book of Proverbs and see what God thinks about diligence. He loves it. And so one of the things that we're seeing here is that it's dangerous to try to make these types of uh, it's, it's dangerous to try to make these types of, of things normative because you start to see people, they don't understand. And so they, they hear a pastor say or a deacon say or an usher say, yeah, you know what? That's right. God God's not blessing me because I'm giving something. God's blessing me because he loves me. No, that's not true. And then that gets people in a place of frustration. And they're sitting there thinking like, how come I'm not being blessed? The pastor said God bless those that have to give though. And I didn't have... That's not how it works. And so we're, we're creating a culture because people didn't even read the scripture properly in context, didn't even read it properly. And so you got a whole group of Christians that think that uh, you know, giving to God is just some kind of a, uh, um, an optional thing that you know if you feel like doing it, or maybe just drop a little something in the offering. And, and it's far from that. It's far from that to the place where even King David said, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. So he shows us, here's a man, by the way, after God's own heart, who we see is like, I'm not going to uh, just flippantly offer something to God. I won't give God something that costs me nothing. I'll make sure that what I give him is precious. It's got to be precious to my heart, precious to me. It's got to mean something. If it doesn't mean something to me, it's not going to mean anything to God. And so I wanted to bring this to your attention because Paul's making a point here. And Paul's point that he's making is God is going to move on your behalf. And the reason God's going to move on your behalf is because when no one else was willing to be faithful and to sow, You took on the burden of my ministry with me, and you sowed, and God will bless you abundantly now, because you didn't just do it once, you continued to do it. And he said, even now, I am being blessed by your faithfulness. And so now, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So you start to realize, this is a very, this is a very Uh, pointed passage. This is not something Paul's saying to everybody in the body of Christ. He's saying it to show a principle to a group of people who were faithful. You see that? And And that's how God works. God is always looking for faithfulness. Always looking for faithfulness. And so You say, well, doesn't God just bless everybody the same? Doesn't he just love everybody the same? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. He, now here's here's what's crazy. He showed his love to the world at large by sending Jesus, right? God showed his love for the earth by sending Jesus. But after that, His love and his grace, love you brother Ron, his love and his grace and his favor and his mercy, they're not shown to everybody the same way. For example, the Bible says that uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so there you see two things you could do, but God will respond differently depending on which one you pick. If you walk in pride, the Bible said God will oppose you. If you are humble and meek, the Bible says God will heap grace upon you, which is favor. The favor of God. And so, uh, God doesn't show everything to everyone the same. Doesn't show everyone, for example, and I, I, know, I know this is, uh, I'm kind of getting into what we'll do in the Bible study a little bit, but let me give you one more thing before I pray with you. You know, um. We, we talk about what Peter said, and it's quoted all the time in church. How many know, God's, God's no respecter of persons. What he did for one, he'll do for all. And that's, that's an actual verse of scripture that was something that Peter said, the apostle Peter said, God is no respecter of persons. What he did for one, he'll do for all. Well, do I agree that God will honor everyone's faith that come to him in faith? Yes, I do. I do believe that if you have faith in God's word, I believe that if you have faith in what he said and you obey it, then God will bless you for obeying his word. And I believe that anyone that has faith in God, God will honor their faith. But is that what Peter was saying when he said that in Acts chapter 10? No, it's not what he's saying at all. He was not saying that If you need a financial blessing and you need one, God's not going to give one to you and not give one to you. He's he's no respecter of person. That's not what he was saying at all. In fact, this passage in Acts chapter 10 is very interesting because it's describing the very first time that the gospel came to people who were not Jews in Cornelius' house. And it took an angel showing up to Cornelius, and then God had to give Peter a vision and brought Peter to Cornelius' house. And look at this. He comes and starts preaching to the Gentiles, the Italians, and Peter's preaching to them. And, you know, God had to give him that vision of unclean meat and say, eat it. And he say, no, Lord, it's unclean. And God had to rebuke him and say, don't ever call unclean what I've cleansed. And it was an understanding for Peter to to realize, oh, wait a second, the gospel's not just going to be for the Jews, it's going to be for the Gentiles as well. And then he gets to his house and starts preaching, and the Bible says that as he's preaching, he realizes this. It, It like dawns on him. Acts 10 and verse 34, Then Peter started speaking, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel. So what is he doing? He's recognizing, hold on a second, the gospel's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. God's not a respecter of persons. And the reason he's saying that is because for the first time in history, he's standing in a Jewish house, or in, a, in a Gentile household, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you'll see, the, the people who are Gentiles, not only do they get saved, they get filled with the Holy Ghost in that same, in that same uh, meeting. And look, verse 44 and while Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. And they heard them speaking uh, in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, no one can withhold the water for these people to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Just as we did. Peter, it's, it's hitting him. He's getting a revelation. This is not just for Jews. It's for Gentiles. And so a lot of times people will quote that and say, well, you know, how many know God's no respecter of persons? But that doesn't mean that just because God delivered you from $100,000 of debt, that he's going to do that exact same thing for the person next to you. That's not what that verse means at all. But people try to use it as though that is what it means. It's not what it means. God honors people's faithfulness. He honors their faith. But in this context, it's talking about God was bringing the gospel to To the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And so one thing we end up doing, and that's why I said it, you need to join and be a part of this Bible study class that we're going to be, the the technical term they use in Bible school, hermeneutics. It's just the study of Scripture, interpreting Scripture, letting Scripture interpret itself through other Scripture and, and the context of the passage. And I'm telling you, it's going to be so powerful when we come together to do this Because you're going to see things in the scripture you've never seen before. You're going to get get access to tools to help you study your Bible in ways you never have before. And it'll cause you to improve greatly. But not only that, the Bible says when you do, it, it causes you to be equipped and to be someone who can make an impact in your generation. And every good work you'll be able to be a part of because of full equipping from the scripture. There will not be anything you can't do, not anything you're not in position to accomplish for the kingdom, when the word of God equips you, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And so I'm telling you, you need to be a part of it. It's going to be a powerful, powerful course together, which, as I said, registration is going to open March 28th, and I'm encouraging you to jump on. It's going to be an amazing, amazing thing that we'll do together. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to the most, is that uh, we'll be able to do uh, Bible studies together. You'll be able to ask me questions. We'll go through. I'm going to show you my tools. I'm gonna, you'll, you'll be able to see my screen on my, on my laptop, on my iPad, whatever I'm using. You'll be able to see what I'm using, how I'm using it. I'll walk you through it. I'll explain it. But it's, it's going to open your eyes. It's going to open your eyes. And you're going to be extremely blessed to understand how to properly Divide scripture. That's why the Bible says, Paul told Timothy this study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. That means that this word of truth cannot just be rightly divided, it can be wrongly divided, as I've been discussing today, as I've been talking about today. And then how angry do people get when they're like, well, I've been doing what the pastor said and I'm not seeing my increase. No lie. We had a family. I'll tell you this, then I'll pray for you. We had a family in one of the churches that they were a little out there, but they heard the pastor preaching on taking possession, on taking dominion and, you know, uh, taking your promised land and believing God for that increase. And they were believing for a house. And so As they're believing for a house, they went and found a house that was empty, that they wanted, that they thought was theirs. They didn't just march around the house or anoint the house. They broke into the house and moved their stuff into the house and then just stayed there and became squatters. And they took them forever. The owners took the owners forever to get them out of the house. Well, That's not what the Bible means by taking dominion or it's not, it's also not what it means that everywhere that your foot treads, you'll have dominion. And that's not what that means either. But apparently these people thought it did. But see, the the point I'm trying to make is wrong believing leads to wrong actions. Wrong believing leads to wrong actions. And that's why I'm telling you that uh, when I, when you hear me harping on this, Hyper grace message and going after it and calling it demonic and doctrines of devils and all that. The reason I'm doing that is because it has led many Christians back into a life of sin because they've been taught wrong things and so it leads to wrong actions and wrong believing. And as a result, they're doing things that are totally displeasing to God and they think it's fine. They think it's fine. And so that's why it's so important to believe properly and rightly divide the scripture and know what the Bible actually teaches. And you need to have those principles at your disposal, those tools at your disposal. There should be some warnings when you're reading. And what'll end up happening is that you'll, you'll, be, in, you'll be in church sometimes and you may hear somebody say something, your spirit, it'll automatically pop and say, I recognize that that's not in the context of what the scripture means. You'll be able to know that. You'll not be deceived. You'll not have any issue uh, properly understanding the scripture. It's like I said one time, uh, if, you, if you don't read the Bible properly, then you'll, miss, you'll mistake uh, things that are not supposed to be taken the way that you take them. It's like I was joking one time and said, you know, imagine if my little son was swimming in our pool in the back and I left a note for him on the table that said, um, when you're done, go into my room and take your clothes off and I'll come in to see you in a minute. Well, I left that for Teddy, but imagine if Carolyn had some of her friends over and one of her friends picks up the note and thinks it's for her and looks at that and gets all angry and offended and you know, ticked off. Why would your husband leave me? Why would he say these things? Well, you were reading something that was not written to you, wasn't for you. So it's important to know who it was for and what the context was and what it meant. That was for my little son who's in the pool, right? And when he's done, I wanted to take his wet clothes off, come in so I can dry him off and get some dry clothes on it. But if somebody else picks that up and reads it, Either somebody's going to be mad or I'm going to be in trouble because it wasn't for you. You took it and tried to apply it to you, but it wasn't for you. And so I'm telling you, this is going to be an extremely helpful thing for people coming up next month. And um, I want to encourage you to get involved. Again, uh, March 28th, we're opening registration. I'll give you more information on social media, on these broadcasts. It's going to be excellent. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit. You know your people are faithful. You know your people are pressing in to the anointing. Lord, we've been declaring it's our year of divine possession. We're not going to stand by the wayside like so many do and just sit around wishing and hoping that you'd bless us. We are going to stand not just in faith, but in faithfulness, taking actions of faith to do what you've asked us to do. And as we do, Lord, I thank you that this is going to be a year like we've never seen in the mighty name of Jesus. A year of increase for the faithful. A year of explosive growth for the dedicated. Lord, a year where we take ownership by the power of the Holy Ghost. Open doors for us that have never opened before in Jesus' name. Let this be a year of such miracles that it would blow the minds of natural men, that it would blow the minds of even those that don't serve the Lord. Let them clearly see the blessing of God upon our lives. We thank you, Lord, for that. We give you praise. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling today. Those that We've been getting prayer requests. Those that are sick. Those that are battling in their physical body. I pray now in Jesus' name, let that healing virtue come upon them today and make them well. Lord, those that are battling in their mind, let this be a day of peace and a day of joy. I take authority over that depression and anxiety. I commanded to go in Jesus' name. Receive joy and receive peace by the power of God's Spirit in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, that you're helping us to take control of areas of life that may have previously been out of control and we will do what you've asked us to do. And as a result, this is our year of breakthrough in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you believe it, throw some hands up, throw some fire up, and let me encourage you. To partner with Carolyn with me. You know, I thought it was interesting. I was reading that today about Paul. And uh, it's very interesting how this church felt in their spirits. Not to just bless him once, but to stand with him often. That's what happened with Jesus, you know. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, that God sent people, wealthy people, to Jesus to minister to him and his disciples financially and they traveled with him and they were a part of the ministry. That's partnership. Partnership is a biblical thing and I want to encourage you to partner with me and Carolyn as we're doing what the Lord's called us to do. We're all doing it together as a family. We're pushing this gospel forward before it's too late. Jesus is coming soon and I want to say thank you to all of you that are already standing with us. All of you that are uh, believing God for miracles in our generation, thank you for those that are already partnering. But if you're watching or listening to me and you've not taken a step of faith to partner financially with this ministry, do it. Take a step of faith. Watch what the Lord will do for you. Watch the blessings that'll flow back into your life as you step out and and partner with us. If you'd like to know how to do it, the information's on the screen. You can go to miracleword.com. When you do, you'll see a button that says partner. And, uh, it will show you all that we're doing in the ministry and it'll show you the different levels of partnership and how you can stand with us. But for everybody that's at the, uh, base level of $85 a month or more, we're going to send you this book by Dr. Mike Murdoch, 31 reasons that people do not receive their financial harvest. It's an eye opener. This is our gift to you in the month of February. And, um, This is something that when I was younger, it truly opened my eyes. There's things people don't even understand that they're doing or not doing that's keeping back their financial harvest. This book will help you. That's for everybody sewing $85 or more. This month, you can go to miracleword.com forward slash offer to claim it. Uh, For those that are standing with us at $250 or more, we found out that there's currently an issue, I guess, ownership or copyright issue, with Dr. Sumrall's books right now, and they're trying to resolve that at La Cie, and so we'll have something for you, but for those that are standing with us at $1,000 or more, we're gonna send you that book by Dr. Murdoch, another one, and then also, this net Bible, full notes edition, 60,000 translator's notes. It's our gift to you to say we love you very much. I'm gonna go home, and make sure that the refrigerator has not exploded. Truly though, for real, tomorrow I will be back with you at the normal time. 10:30 a.m. For real. For real. Carolyn's back today, and, uh, and and it's gonna be it's gonna be better. It's gonna be better. It's gonna be better. No. No, I got we got it under control. I, I got like 92 towels in the dryer right now. The floor is dry, the refrigerator is fixed. And uh, the sledgehammer dents mean nothing. It still works fine. (laughs) I love you very much. Thank you for hanging with me today. I'll see you in the morning for real. For real. At 10.30 a.m. Teddy's coming to say goodbye. He loves you too. You want to say goodbye? Mm -hmm. Me and Spider-Man love you. And we'll see you later. Have a good one. Bye.